So this morning we're continuing with uh, Romans, so we're doing a series of four in Romans. Uh, so last week James started with the beginning of Romans 7, I'm finishing off Romans 7, and then we've got two on Romans 8. Uh, and I want us to start, I want you to look at this picture uh, of the word no, but the word no made up of hundreds of yeses. Now, you can decide, really, maybe if you're a half-glass-full person, you would say, well, it says yes. There are hundreds of yeses. Uh, but maybe you look at it and say, well, look, it's clearly a no, because it's a huge no. Which one is it? Is it no or is it yes? What is it, what is it saying to you? It could be saying either. It's, it could definitely be saying either. And this passage that we're going to look at this morning is a bit like this. Uh, it, it's, some commentators say it's the most difficult uh, passage in the Bible, uh, and there is much division really over it. Some are saying two very different things about it, like this picture, saying, well, it says no, or no, it says yes. So let's read it, and then we're going to get into it. So it's Romans 7, and we're going to read uh, 14 to 25. <clears throat> says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we continue into chapter 8, but we're looking at 7 this morning. A confusing passage, definitely, and the confusion around it is this I. There's a lot of I's in there. Uh, and Paul obviously wrote the letter, uh, this letter of Romans. And the discussion is, who is this Romans 7 man? Who is this man in Romans 7? We know it's Paul, but which Paul is it? Is it Paul pre-conversion? So is he talking about when he wasn't saved? Is he talking about when he was a Jew? Uh, or what the theologians called unregenerate, yes? So we haven't been born again. We haven't been regenerated yet. We, we are unsaved. We are not believers. Is that what Paul 
is referring to, that it's before he was saved, this is how he acted. Or is it Paul talking about post-conversion? So as a mature Christian apostle uh, who's writing the letter, that's the stage he's in when he's writing this letter as a mature Christian apostle, is, is that this experience and what he describes in his verses, is that him as a believer? Which one is it? Well, let me give you a few arguments on either side. So firstly, if we look at whether this is a pre-conversion Paul, let me give you three reasons why it certainly could be that. The first reason is that we see in these verses that this person is under the power of sin. It says that. It says, under the power of sin. And that's a state from which every believer is actually released. We read in Romans 6, 2, that we've died to sin. We've died to sin. So, this cannot be a believer because they are saying they are under the power of sin. And believers have been set free from the power of sin. So, there's an argument that this is pre-conversion. Another one, similar in some respects, this person has an unsuccessful struggle with sin. Verse 23 says that they are a prisoner of the law of sin, a prisoner. But we know that in Romans 8, as we're going to read next, that we've been set free from this law of sin. We've been set free from that. So once again, how can this be referring to Paul, the saved, mature Christian? It must be talking about him before he was saved. And thirdly, this person struggles on their own. There's a lot of I, I, myself, and they struggle without the aid of the Holy Spirit. So three reasons why this person is clearly not saved. Let's look at three reasons why they are saved. Well, firstly, if we take just a straight reading of the text and you read it just as it is, we see a shift in the tenses. So the beginning of chapter 7, uh, it's talking in the past tense. It's saying, I would, I found. And then suddenly as we get into this part, it's talking about I in the present tense. So that would seem to say that Paul is talking about himself in the present tense when he wrote the letter as a mature Christian. If we read it, uh, the tenses, the language makes it clear that that is the case. Secondly, we see that this person delights in God's law, and only believers delight in God's law and seek to obey it. So they must be a believer because they delight in God's law. Someone who doesn't know God, they don't delight in God's law. God's law has no delight to them at all. But a believer, we delight in God's Word and His law. So they must be a believer. This must be Paul as a Christian. And thirdly, similarly, only believers have minds that are positive towards God as this person is. Clearly, he is describing himself being positive towards God, wanting to do what is right, wanting to do uh, what God wants him to do. His mind is saying, yes, I want to live the right way. So we have three reasons why this person is saved, three reasons why they're not saved. And there are good theologians on either side of the fence. You can read some really big, thick books, and they'll tell you one thing, and others will tell you another. And I think in reality, 
neither position is wholly satisfactory. I think it's very difficult to just go with one of these positions. Neither of them really uh, are wholly satisfactory. As I just described, you can see clear reasons why it could be either. And so a bit like our no-yes picture, it's giving maybe two different messages. But I think one of the key things is that we're not meant to get bogged down in trying to work out who this Romans 7 man is. It can bog us down that we get so stuck with it, but we need to look at what is God trying to say out of that. A quote from Terry Virgo, he says about this, Terry Virgo, who was the founder of New Frontiers, he says it's a description of life before and outside of Christ, but looked at from the perspective of life in the Spirit. Maybe that's helpful. Let me give you another point of view from Phil Moore. You might know Phil Moore, who wrote these Straight to the Heart books, which I think many of you have read. It's really excellent uh, books. And he says this. He says, I think it's helpful to look at this not as a description of Paul's pre- or post-conversion state, but rather a description of the experience of any believer who tries to rely on Moses' law to be sanctified as this fits within the flow of the whole letter. So I think this is so important. It's a description of the experience of any believer who tries to rely on the law to be sanctified. A believer who tries to rely on the law to be sanctified. Sanctified, what does that mean? Well, there are two words, uh, justification and sanctification, that are really important for us to understand. There's a chart uh, that can maybe give you some understanding. Justification, it's something that happens when we are saved. When we give our lives to God, we become Christians, we are declared righteous. God says, you are righteous. You have become righteous. It's a declaration. It's done. It's not based on anything you've done. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on how well you've done. It's a declaration that God makes because you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so He declares you <coughs> righteous. It's instantaneous. This word imputed, it's given. It's a free gift of righteousness that we are given, yeah? And you would have learned about that last week. And that's our standing before God. This, as it calls the indicative mood, is that you are justified. It's a statement of that's what you are. And it's based on our union with Christ in His uh, death and His resurrection. So it happens at salvation. Then we have this other word, sanctification, which is about having, yes, we've been declared righteous, but we also, because we live within these bodies uh, that have not been made new, our spirits have been made new, but these bodies, they have not been made new. And so we continue on a path of being set apart for God, of being made holy, of being made righteous. And that is a lifelong pursuit. It's something that God is doing in each of us day after day, month after month, year after year. If we'll let Him, He's continuing to shape us and change us. It's about our, the way we walk with God. It's about the way we practice uh, before God, how we live before God. I like the imperative mood as it says there, it's act like it, yeah, because we have been made righteous, and now as we live out our sanctification, 
we actually live that out. Yes, we have been made righteous, so now we live in a way that we are righteous. And it's very much about our current relationship or communion with Christ, yeah? Our current relationship with Christ right now, today. What is your relationship with Christ like? So these passages out of Romans 7 are about sanctification. They're about sanctification, and they give a very dramatic picture. You can think it's a confusing picture, all the the things, but it gives a dramatic picture of what happens if you seek sanctification apart from the Spirit, if you try and do it through the law, if you seek sanctification through the law instead of through the Holy Spirit. This is what it looks like. And no matter who you are, if you seek your sanctification in this way, it's going to totally wear you down. You're going to find it's impossible. And Paul's proven already that justification through the law is impossible, and now he's speaking about sanctification through the law being impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And so what we must not do is take this description at the end of Romans 7 as a description of the normal Christian life. This is not a description of the normal Christian life. Now, I know there'll be sentences in there that you relate to. There are sentences in there that I'll relate, that I relate to. But we must not take this as a description of the normal Christian life. If you want a description of the normal Christian life, you need to continue into Romans 8. And we've got the next two weeks to explore that. What does the normal Christian life look like? What should it look like? But in these verses, that is not a normal description of the Christian life, we see, as I said, what happens when we try, now having been saved by faith, to then live by the law, to then live and try and be sanctified by the law. What we see here, what he describes is that sin uses the law to resist our new identity. We have this new identity as forgiven, righteous sons, and sin uses the law to resist this new identity. The law, you know, tells us you've done wrong, you've done wrong, you've done wrong. This is the wrong thing to do. And sin uses that. It provokes us to want to do more and more of the wrong thing. Because when someone says you don't do that, you say, yeah, I really want to do that. Don't walk on the grass. Yeah, I really want to walk on the grass. Yeah, so sin uses the law, uses the law to actually resist our new identity. The second thing that we see that sin uses is our old selves, our old selves. So we've been saved, we've been born again, we've become a new creation, but there's still this old self that is still hanging around. Unfortunately, it's going to hang around until Jesus returns, until we're taken up, until we're in glory and we receive new bodies. So until we die, we've still got this old man hanging around. And sin uses this old self against us. He uses this old self also to come against our new identity. And our old self joins in to say, yeah, what you desire is evil. You desire the evil things. That's what you're after. You're still desiring things that are bad. And that proves that sin rules over you. 
That's what our old self is doing all the time. It's saying, ah, oh, this looks really good. You know, I shouldn't grab this forbidden fruits, whatever it is. I, I shouldn't go online and look at that. I, I shouldn't do that. But, but our old self is telling us, you see, you desire those things, so actually sin still rules over you. Sin uses our old self to come against our new identity, that we are righteous, forgiven sons and daughters of the king. And that is what we see described here. These two forces really at work, the law, our old selves, sin using them against us. As Phil Moore describes, he says, sin makes an ally out of the law and another one out of our old self. And together, these two allies can capture our new self as their powerless prisoner of war. So this description we see here is sin using the law, using our old self to capture our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. And as I said, we, we relate to so much of is written here. If I read you know, verse 18 and 19 again, it says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Does anyone relate to that? I, I know I do sometimes. I relate to that. We, we feel that. We feel some relating to that. We want to do the right thing, but we just find ourselves again and again doing the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. And this is a conflict between our desire and performance. We want to do the right thing, but we so often fail. The will is there, but it seems like the ability is not. So are we this wretched man then that has no hope? Well, he comes to the truth of it, and we'll go on in chapter 8, but he says in verse 25, there is only one rescuer. There is only one rescuer, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the only one who rescues us. You see, we need the gospel, the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done to sanctify us, to help us now, every much as bit, every much as we needed the gospel to justify us originally, to make us Christians. We needed the truth of grace given as a gift. We needed to accept that, to become Christians to know this new identity, and now we need the same grace. We need our rescuer again and again and again to help us come through in sanctification, to deal with these allies of sin, the law and our old self. Jesus is the only one who can bring us through. He is our rescuer. He is our rescuer. And so we have to learn this lesson. We have to learn the lesson that having started our Christian lives accepting that there's nothing we can do to be saved, trusting in God, that now we need to continue in this gift of grace from God, knowing that actually the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and is through the power of the Spirit that we are going to overcome. We've been called to live holy lives. 
We've been called to live holy lives, to not give in to the power of sin, because it's been dealt with, it's been finished. We have authority to overcome it, and so we are called not to continue in sin, not to give in to our old selves. We are called to be a holy people. We've been given the indwelling Spirit. And so we don't need to rely on the external code of the law. We have the very person of Jesus Christ. So let's not return to the system of the law. If we do, if we, like this person described here, try in our own willpower to overcome sin, we're going to be exhausted if I just try in my own willpower, if I just work with my old self, with the law, I just try with willpower to overcome, we're going to get exhausted. Maybe you're going to not give in one time, two times, three times, but you're going to get exhausted. There's no ways. You're going to end up like Paul saying, I'm a wretched man. We cannot do it by willpower. Our willpower needs to do one thing, because we're given a will, we're given willpower. It needs to do one thing. It needs to turn us towards Jesus. It needs to press us into the living God. It needs to submit to the Holy Spirit. It is the one thing that our willpower needs to do. We cannot, in our own strength, resist sin. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. It is the Holy Spirit that we've been given so that we can be sanctified, so that we can become holy, that we can be set apart and be more and more like God. Because the Holy Spirit is in us is why we are set apart. In the olden day temple, they prayed over certain items and prayed for the Holy Spirit to come on them, and they were, they were set apart. They were put separately because they were blessed. Well, you are. You are blessed because the Holy Spirit lives in you. This temple, this body is sanctified because it's set apart because the Holy Spirit lives within me. So it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we overcome sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And our willpower must be used, yes, just to submit to the power of the Spirit, to turn into God the Father's arms again and again and again. When we try and overcome sin just with our willpower, we will lose. We will be this wretched man. But when we use our willpower to just submit to God, we will find the power of the Holy Spirit that has already set us apart, bringing us through, helping us to overcome, to defeat these allies, to finish them, to overcome them again and again and again. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are going to overcome sin. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't made a commitment to Christ this morning, then you might not realize it, but the reality is you're in bondage to sin. You are tied down by sin. You are not a free man or woman. You're actually in bondage to sin. Sin rules over you this morning. You aren't free. But actually, today, this very day, this word that I use, justification, you can know that today. You can be set free today, right now. You can be justified before God 
right before God, relationship with God restored, your life set free, actually having the power then to overcome sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today you can be free from sin. Today that bondage can be broken over your life. So for us, we need to be convinced that living by the law doesn't work. Living by willpower, living by the law doesn't work. Having been saved by grace, we cannot be sanctified by the law. Secondly, if this passage is a description of your life, not just that you relate to bits of it, because I think we all relate to parts of it, but if you really feel actually this describes where I'm at, then you need to be here the next two weeks. Most certainly, you need to read Romans 8. You need to let the Holy Spirit break through in your life and set you free. You need the Holy Spirit's power, which you have. You have, but you need to press into it. You need to let the Holy Spirit break you free from sin, continue to set you apart in holiness. So if the band could come up, I want us to consider three questions. Firstly, do you feel like a slave to sin? Are you constantly defeated by the same sin? Is that how you feel? Do you feel like a slave to sin? Secondly, does how well you're doing determine how much you feel you're accepted by God? Is the sanctification process just based on your willpower? Are you doing enough? Is your willpower strong enough? Is that what your acceptance of God is based on? Thirdly, do you struggle with sin on your own, trying to use your own willpower? Or do you rely on the Holy Spirit? I think these three questions are really important for us to consider. And out of those questions, really, I want to call us to a new commitment to living holy lives but through the power of the Spirit, not through your own willpower. Will you stand?